Hello, this is Pastor Ken Ortiz, and I'm the lead pastor of Calvary Spokane in Spokane, Washington. We're located in the beautiful uh, Rocky Mountain, or the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, in the state of what is rapidly becoming uh, the Socialist Republic of Washington. Uh, this broadcast is intended to be kind of a bi-monthly audio podcast um, based upon really what we read in First Chronicles 12.32 where it says that there were men of Issachar who had understanding of the signs of the times and knowing the best course to take. And so what I attempt to do in each of these podcasts is to connect current events with events that are forecast in the Bible, things that we might refer to as signs of the times, and uh, a time in which many of us believe we are actually living in. Now, I need to begin a little bit with an apology, and I'm saying all of that because I admit that I'm a little bit behind schedule. This hasn't been bi-monthly. Um, and not just because I've been pretty busy, which is kind of my constant state of being, but because it's really taken me a long time to get my mind around the topic that we're talking about. And what I'm really talking about is the new global currency, and I add for emphasis, which is already here. Um, in a sense, most of us understand that we are in a digital economy and and uh, that therefore that has immediate global implications. But far beyond that, I'm talking about really where the shifting of the center of the locus of, of world economics is moving away from the United States and by intentionality is, is moving into a global setting of which uh, the United States will be a player and no longer the dominant player. Now, something the Bible makes very clear, especially in the reading of the book of Revelation, is that Satan has had a global plan for world domination probably from before the fall when he deceived Adam and Eve. I think his intention was to become the center of this universe that we're part of. Yet his every effort up till now has been uh, foiled because God, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, has restrained him. He's really limited how far the enemy can actually go in his plan. But that hasn't stopped him from trying. We find that history records um, many efforts to raise up what I would call despotic sociopathic tyrants. There's been one right after another who have endeavored to position themselves as the uh, ruler of the world, or at least the world as they see it. Uh, It began with Nimrod in chapter 11 of Genesis, and I would say went all the way to Stalin and even now into the present world. When we look at people like Vladimir Putin in Russia or Xi Jinping in China, these people all have uh, globalist ambitions to uh, control everything that takes place on the planet. Um, But today what we refer to in a a broader and more general sense is the idea of globalism, and that globalism is the idea of a unity of nations under one governing authority, and that governing authority becomes like one world government, and it has within it as well a one world religious system, which we'll touch on a little bit, but more importantly, I think we need to look at one world economic system. Because based upon what the Bible tells us, I believe that the true mover and shaker behind globalism, as Satan desires it, is really has to do with money. And the reason I say that is, first of all, in Ecclesiastes 10.19, Solomon made the statement, he said, Money is the answer for everything. 
or as one casual translator put it, money makes the world go round. Well, most of us understand the important role that money plays. I mean, there's a, a familiar adage that tells us the rule covering political corruption is always follow the money. And I think that's pretty true about all of us. We can really see where our priorities are by simply going through our accounts and seeing where we spend most of our money, especially our discretionary income. Where that goes really reveals who we are. That's why I think that the idea of tithing is really kind of central to most Christians' life because it really is saying I'm going to put God first in the ordering or organizing of my personal accounts. That's why I recommend that people do it. But also in Timothy, in his first letter, Paul wrote in chapter 6, verse 10, he said, the love of many is the root of all kinds of evil. So we're talking about evil when we're talking about a globalist system, uh, an evil that rules over mankind. And the root of that, he said, is going to be money. That some people, he adds, are eager for money, having wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And, of course, I would add to that also Mark 4.19, where in the parable of the sower, Jesus talked about the one thing that chokes off effectiveness of many Christians' life is, he said, the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth is the fact that we believe that wealth can lead to health and happiness and, and all those other good things in our life. And it deceives us into thinking it has that kind of power when, in fact, it does not. Now, of course, the Bible states clearly that at the time of the end, there will be one world currency, and I'm referring to Revelation chapter 13. It's a currency system in which a person can either buy nor sell. In short, those who do not receive what's called the mark of the beast will be frozen out of the economic system. If they want to opt into the system, they have to worship the beast, that is, that is as the Christ, They have to worship Satan as if he is God, and they have to receive a mark that contains the beast's number or name. Now, Revelation 13 tells us three things about this mark. Number one, it's a system of monetary exchange that people are required to use. In other words, uh, if you don't have a recognized form of currency, you can't do business. I've been in parts of the third world, especially in rural areas, where they've never seen an American dollar or a euro or any other currency that may be familiar to the West. But the reality is that unless you have the currency of that country, it really has no cachet and you can't buy anything with it. So essentially he's saying that this is going to come down to where all of the currencies are eliminated and it's going to come down to this one symbolic currency that everybody has to identify with. Secondly, Revelation implies to us that this is a a form of currency that's going to be readily identifiable. It'll be very flexible, very convenient, eminently usable and a reliable form. Uh, And basically, it will be located not in your wallet or in your pocket, but it will be something that's placed or emblazoned or implanted or injected on the subscriber's right hand or forehead. It's most likely to be what we call a gematria, uh, a gematria, which means is the name or the number of the beast. Uh, a gematria is really nothing else but an alpha numeric code. For example, ancient Hebrew didn't have uh, numbers separated from letters, so they used their alphabet, the letters of the alphabet, to represent a numerical value. So if we were to do it in the English language, we would say that A equals 1 and B equals 2 and so forth. And that's essentially how the Hebrew um, numeric system operated, at least in the uh, original ancient times. But what is often overlooked by many today is that 
that basically language is a form of code. In fact, it can be translated into computer code. And it seems increasingly likely, therefore, that the mark will be in the form of some kind of computerized code, which with today's chip technology that can be implanted and injected and attached even by tape that absorbs into the skin and, and becomes somewhat of a semi-permanent marker, um, which they use in a lot of hospitals now to identify patients and so forth, that it's going to be something that's going to be related to the digital world that is increasingly dominating the economic and social uh, network of the planet. In fact, it's very interesting that uh, Microsoft, Bill Gates's uh, company basically, has actually submitted a, p a patent uh, in 2020 that was granted to them, an international patent. Um, and it's really interesting. <laughs> the number of the patent number was 060606. That's caused many people to kind of wonder, was that intentional or is that just how the numbers rolled out? Uh, either way, I think it's something that was would uh, cause us to pay attention to it. But basically, they, they applied for this patent, and they got it one month later, and it was an international patent, so it's applicable around the world. And the title of the patent was Cryptocurrency System Using Body Activity Data. This is where it gets really interesting, because in other words, <coughs> uh, a chip will be inserted into the body that monitors a person's daily physical activity in return for cryptocurrency. And it says, if conditions are met, then the person receives certain bonuses, and that can be spent on something. And actually, in other words, they, they put this in your body. You do some kind of activity that's prescribed by them as being an approved activity, and that automatically sends a digital account or record of what you've done, and you can actually start using that same system to spend that which you earned by doing the right activities. One of the things that certainly came to my mind is what would be those approved or recognized activities? Could it, in fact, be something like uh, the physical activity of worshiping the beast, the Antichrist? Because what it says in Revelations 13, 15 is it says that he causes all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. And he also forced everyone small and great and rich and poor and free and slave to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had a mark, which is the name of the beast and the number of his name. Again, the options for a delivery system are endless, given the rapid development of new, small, and more powerful technologies. But this idea of mining cryptocurrency by approved activities strikes me as very fascinating and a little bit spooky at the same time. But even beyond this, and I don't want to focus too long on the, the means in which uh, the cryptocurrency, or I should say the one world economy, is going to function, I think it's more important to step back for a moment and take a broader view, because beyond technology itself, we are witnessing really a kind of a tsunami-like move towards a centralization of all things. Uh, we're seeing that borders are being erased by mass and oftentimes uncontrolled migration of people that uh, civil liberties are being erased by pandemic pandemic restrictions around the world. And in fact, on the horizon, we'll be seeing probably undoubtedly mandatory vaccinations and or at least widespread restrictions on things like education or employment or entertainment or even social interaction if somebody refuses to be vaccinated. 
all designed, I believe, not to stop the epidemic, but to train the populace to be compliant with government demands. Because one of the things I find so fascinating in our own country is there's no regard given to people who have already recovered and have the antibodies in their system and have T cells, which gives them greater protection than any vaccination could do. Or if people basically, uh, in fact, we're we're restricted from using a lot of therapeutics like hydrochloroquine and, and ivermectin and other things of that sort. So what we find is that there's really something going on here. There's an agenda beyond what we can just simply see and why they're pressing people to get the vaccination. And I, I think it's really designed in a very real way to get people to accustom to the idea of complying. Um, I saw a recent interview where they interviewed six different people on the beach someplace where it was sunny and warm and nice. Um, and they asked him, what do you think about the possibility of having to go back under the mask mandates? And of those six people they talked, there was only one person who raised an objection. Everybody else said, well, yeah, I guess I would do that if that's what they require. And I realized that, you know, the idea of individualism is uh, is a historical marker from the past. It's not something we see a lot of in this present age. And the third thing I think that we can see today is that information as a whole is being controlled by uh, a smaller and smaller group of people. We call them the tech oligarchies, but they have the ability to to silence. They have the ability to um, approve who gets to say what if they don't like you, if they don't agree with you. Or if you veer away from the approved narrative, you can be canceled or silenced. I think of, for example, Dr. Robert Malone, who developed RNA vaccinations. He was the one who created it. He said, basically, we shouldn't be giving them to people under 25 years of age. And uh, basically, he was kicked off LinkedIn and, and YouTube and has been restricted in what he's allowed to say. So we find that this is really a, a major part of it. And I think the bigger picture objective of what's taking place on, on planet Earth right now is, number one, uh, compliance, getting people by force or persuasion to comply to the narrative of whatever the power, regime in power wants us to believe. But secondly, they want to centralize everything so that instead of like in America, where every state has its own decentralized system of government, that everything comes under federal control federal mandates, um, even the way which we receive income. More and more, the U.S. government is giving people monies that they haven't earned, but they just distribute them because they think they need them. And the idea is that people become more accustomed to the idea of what eventually becomes a universal basic income that keeps us all the same. We're all equally poor and without opportunity to change our circumstance. So we see this compliance mode. We see this um, uh, centralization mode, but also the consolidation after that when everything is brought together so that there is one single economic system, one single governmental system, and one uh, finally one religious system uh, that I would say is basically state-run and enforced Satanism. Now, I believe that the first step in this process is going to be economic, as I said before, but what tends to get overlooked is what is happening in the international monetary sector. I mean, I'm talking more specifically about what's happened with the International Monetary Fund and what their unit of currency was called special drawing rights. Um, 
That's why I think last week it came out in the news that the Biden regime had done something very interesting. In a two-step process, they plan over this year and the beginning of next year, because they're not allowed to do it all at once, they're going to transfer $1 trillion U.S. trillion into the accounts of the International Monetary Fund. This is five times as much money as the IMF has in their reserves. But also what it does is it creates a basis for them to do uh, currency exchanges and lending and monetary policy. In other words, they're going to begin to function like a central bank for the entire world. So this is a change of purpose in the International Monetary Fund's uh, uh, original design, but it's designed intentionally to make them an international bank that is really superior and above all other banks. So with 190, currently 190 different nations that are part of the IMF, they're all going to be simply partaking uh, and investing, in other words, transferring their funds into this main account, and they're going to be able to draw out of it just like you would a checking account. Now, you may be saying, well, isn't that nice? But you need to consider that this generosity in the part of the United States is going to have some very significant and initial effects. I mean, first of all, the United States cannot afford it. I mean, during the pandemic, uh, the U.S. has spent an unbudgeted, unbudgeted unfunded amount of, of uh, $4 trillion. The Democrats are asking for another $4.5 trillion in infrastructure spending. And in order to do all of this, in addition to that, they want to raise the debt ceiling, which before the pandemic was at $20 trillion. In other words, you couldn't borrow more than $20 trillion. They want to raise it to $22 trillion, an additional $2 trillion of money. Well, you have to understand that we don't even we don't raise enough money in taxes every year to cover the existing budget. We're borrowing up to a, a half a trillion to a trillion dollars every year just to cover the operating budget. And the reason we borrow that money is because we don't have enough money to pay for Social Security or Medicare or the military and everything else that comes under that. So that you realize that only a small percentage of the U.S. federal budget is monies that are... Um, uh, expend are, are discretionary. They they have bills that they have to pay. There's money they owe. And when you extrapolate that out over the next 20 or 30 years, the U.S. debts somewhere around 150 trillion dollars. Well, what a lot of things have happened since the since the pandemic and a lot of push putting of money into the economy that's not earned money. It's just gifted money from the federal treasury. Is that inflation has gone begun to rise? Its highest level in in a couple of decades, up to almost five percent or five point three percent inflation just this last year. Well, what has that done? Well, inflation is really a code word for devaluation. The more your currency inflates, the less your money is worth, and so especially in comparison to other countries. And the only thing that's kept the dollar central in world economic position is that in World War II, it was really identified as a prime reserve currency. It was the We were the only economy that was still whole, in fact, stronger after the war. But what that does is it actually helps the U.S. economy a great deal because if we run out of dollars, we just print or borrow more dollars. Other countries can't do that. They have to buy dollars from us. And so many of them resented that. It hurts their economies because they can't float their currency like the U.S. does. 
and they have to pay or borrow U.S. dollars. Uh, and, and all we do is sell bond, bonds, or in the most recent case, we just the Fed just declares that there's more money there. They talk about printing it. They don't really print anything. They just add digits on the page. Well, what the Biden regime is doing is transferring U.S. wealth to an international organization, which in turn will establish the IMF's special drawing rights, SDR as it's called, into essentially the new reserve currency. And if you think I'm exaggerating, you need to consider what the World Economic Forum's own online statements are regarding these changes in currencies. Now, if you're not familiar with the World Economic Forum, it's, it's an independent organization, but it's composed of every major leader in every sector of uh, world business economy and entertainment and so forth. I mean, they are a powerful organization and they have one real objective and that is to drive the world into a one world economic system. But when they talk about their predictions for the future, one of the things they said at the beginning of this year was that U.S. dominance is over. And that it's going to shift to a handful of global powers. So their suggestion is you have like 10 powerful nations who dictate policy for all the world. And in other words, the leaders of that nation will make the rules for everybody else. But listen in an article which they posted about the uh, the new economic system that with the IMF and the SDR. Listen to what they said. It says, dissatisfaction with the dollar's role as a dominant global currency is not new. In the 1960s, French finance minister Valéry Giscard d'Estaing famously condemned the exorbitant privilege that the dollar's status bestowed on the United States. The issue is not merely one of fairness, the author goes on to say. According to the Belgium economist uh, Robert Triffin, an international monetary system based on a national currency is inherently unstable. Owing to the resulting tensions among the inevitable divergent interests of the issuing country and the international system as a whole. In other words, the U.S.'s interests often are not the same as the interests of the rest of the world. And therefore, they, the rest of the world is drug along with our agenda because we have that control and that power. It goes on to say, China's rise has made the world increasingly disinclined to tolerate the instability caused by a dollar-denominated system. The solution, however, lies not in replacing a dollar with the renminbi, which is basically the Chinese economic system, but in strengthening the role of the world's only truly global currency, the International Monetary Fund's special drawing rights. The simplest way to fulfill this vision would be to allocate special drawing rights as a full reserve asset, which countries could use, either use or deposit in their IMF accounts. So in other words, the IMF becomes the World Bank. The IMF would use those deposits to finance its lending operations rather than having to rely on quota allocations or arrangements to borrow from members. In other words, it would become basically full personal saving account for nations around the world. To address the developing country's high currency demands while enhancing their role in the creation of international money, a formula could be created to give them a larger share in special drawing right allocations than they now receive, which is why the U.S. gave them a trillion dollars so that we could make more funds available to these developing countries. So your tax dollars are being sent overseas to help other countries and other economies grow. The private use of special drawing rights could be encouraged. In other words, I could have an account 
But keeping special drawing rights as pure central bank money, a new monetary framework underpinned by a truly international currency, could strengthen much-needed economic and financial stability. Everyone, even the U.S., would benefit from that. I'm not so sure. What we find is that nation-states will begin using SDRs instead of dollars to do their trade. They won't need to exchange for dollars. They can just refer to their special drawing rights, and other countries will transfer uh, numbers from one to the other. The IMF will decide what currencies are worth and, and what that exchange rate is. And the U.S. basically is going to have to do the same. We're going to have to use our account to draw and, and invest monies and purchase things at whatever rate the International Monetary Fund chooses to set. So the Fed will no longer set interest rates, but the International Monetary Fund will. And the new international central banks will be the ones who decide what the U.S. can afford to spend or can't. In other words, they can simply say, you don't have enough assets or reserves to be able to draw those monies. It's kind of like your own personal account. You know, you, when you spend all the money in your account and your credit cards, is just going to be declined to, be, uh, to make payment simply because there's no money behind it. Other nations will certainly benefit from no longer being forced to buy U.S. dollars to do business and purchase essentials. As for most, as most bankers do, the U.S. will probably be put on a budget, which it'll be forced to live within. And most people, most Americans don't understand that uh, so much of our high lifestyle is the result of a lack of living on a budget, with the government continuing to send monies to all sorts of things that we take for granted. So that even things like Social Security, you may have invested in all your life, but basically there's really nothing in this uh, Social Security lockbox except for a big stack of paper IOUs. They've been borrowing against that money forever. So uh, basically the standard of living of most Americans will probably drop dramatically. So these are things I think that we need to understand that are painful for us in America to consider, but you have to also understand this, that somehow for the end of times to be fulfilled, as Scripture says, the U.S., I believe, has to simply be removed out of this hegemonic position that it currently holds. I'm not happy about that, but I, at the same time, if it's going to further the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, then I'm pretty excited about that. Because let's always remember, this world is not our home. We're waiting for our, our, our life to begin in reality in its fullness when we go to be with the Lord. So I hope this creates a new level of awareness for you and, and hope you uh, enjoyed this podcast. Uh, look forward to uh, meeting again with you in the same format, same way. Many blessings. Go in His grace. <music>